0: Uh, most of you know that Trudy is going to be starting work as our children and family worker two weeks tomorrow. Of course she's already doing the job as you can see but, uh, but um, uh, she will be actually working for the church and we will have a little um, time of commissioning uh, in our service in two weeks time. Now on our Sunday mornings this term we are thinking about relationships and uh, I want to well, let me, let me read God's Word first. So let's have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's not going to be on the screen. If you've got a Bible, though, it would be great if you would open it or get it on your phone or there are some Bibles on the shelf there at the back if you need one. Uh, but uh, if, you, if, you, if you would prefer, just listen. But let me read you some words from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting to read at verse 39. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh... Animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. The main thing I want to say this morning is that the Christian message is one of good news, joyful news, liberating news. Specifically, the Christian message about relationships is good, joyful, liberating news. Our culture claims to offer good news, but we have something better, more joyful, more true to say. And I want to start by talking about our bodies. I think there might be someone at the front door. I want to start by talking about our bodies. That's being sorted, don't worry. There is a misconception, fueled by the media, that as Christians we're a bit embarrassed to talk about bodies. That bodies generally, and sex particularly, are somehow to be despised. And that we're all looking forward to the day when we can waft around on clouds without being troubled by our bodies. But in fact, the opposite is true. The New Testament was actually written into a culture where bodies were devalued by sophisticated people. In Greek philosophy, Platonism, Gnosticism and the like, bodies were seen as a hindrance, an encumbrance, a distraction. Enlightenment was to be found by detaching and dissociating yourself from your body. And the same is true in many belief systems today. But the Bible says no to those ideas. In the beginning God created human bodies made from physical matter but in the image and likeness of God and God pronounced them very good. Our bodies are amazing, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, we read in Psalm 139. Look at your body, look at your hands. I I cut myself this week. I'm doing some gardening and stuff around the house. You cut your hand, and and a few days later, it's healed. Bodies are amazing things. Don't take them for granted. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Furthermore, when God came to save humanity, he sent his son with a human body. This This was really quite shocking to sophisticated people who were reading the New Testament. The word became flesh. The incarnation happened, incarnation, literally it's the same word we get carnivore from. Jesus became meat, he became flesh like us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, we read in John chapter 1. And when Jesus died and rose again, he rose physically. His resurrection body and our future resurrection bodies are not an escape from physicality but a fulfilment of it. We do not look forward to heaven without bodies but to a heaven where we will have redeemed, renewed, restored bodies. Remember how the sophisticated people in Athens reacted to Paul when he spoke in those terms. We read in Acts 17, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. This idea that we're going to have a body one day is something that they laughed at. But this is the gospel, as we heard in our reading in 1 Corinthians 15. When we are raised on the last day, we will have bodies. They will be spiritual bodies. They won't be the same as these earthly bodies. And and the relationship between these bodies we currently have and the bodies we will have one day is not entirely clear and is, I would imagine, beyond our imagination. What is a spiritual body? Well, what's a petrol engine? It's not an engine made of petrol it's an engine that runs on petrol our spiritual bodies will still be bodies but they will be entirely sustained and quickened and fueled and satisfied by the holy spirit we will have spiritual bodies what what good news even now our bodies are are to be temples of the Holy Spirit, we read twice, in fact, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians. Our bodies really matter. By contrast, our culture undermines the significance of our bodies. People from an increasingly young age are encouraged to feel a profound dissatisfaction with their bodies. They don't learn that from the Bible. They learn that from social media, from adverts, from peer pressure. They learn to think that their bodies can only be made good by excessive dieting, or obsessive bodybuilding, or expensive cosmetic surgery. They learn that emotional intimacy and bodily intimacy can be treated as distinct, that you can hook up for a night without creating any kind of bond. And without the breaking of that bond doing any kind of damage. Because after all, our bodies are not very significant, we are told. They learn to question whether they were not in fact trapped in the wrong kind of body. That their body is some kind of impediment to their flourishing. They learn that a human body is not valuable in itself. It only attains value when society gives that to it. So an unborn human body is not valuable but disposal because that is what society has determined. They learn to be suspicious of their bodies and of the thought that the design of their bodies has much significance. A body is a tool to be used as we wish and ultimately discarded with no thought as to how it was created to be used. But as Christians we know that none of this is actually very wise or enlightened. It is wrong and misguided. It makes people ashamed and miserable. It's dangerous and sad, for the human body is good, very good. And it's inextricably bound up with what it means to be human. You might look at your body in the mirror and see spots and blemishes and wrinkles. Your hair might be falling out. Apparently it's sexist to say that now, but I don't mind. But God looks at your body and he pronounces it good. Certainly our bodies are affected by the fall. Our bodies carry the legacy of human sin. They decay, they weaken, they're susceptible to disease. And so, as we read in Romans 8, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. Not the abolition of our bodies, not the discarding of our bodies, but the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies, even now, as they wait, as they groan for redemption, display the image and glory of God. And our future hope is a bodily hope. So let's celebrate and honour our bodies. We don't worship our bodies, but we see them for what they are. Signs of God's grace and glory, tremendously precious and valuable. We're not embarrassed to talk about our bodies. We're not embarrassed to talk about how God designed our bodies and what he designed them for. We celebrate the bodies we have and the even more glorious redeemed bodies we will have one day. Now here's another misconception that you might hear as you read the newspaper or go on social media, that God is against pleasure. That God is rather anti-pleasure. But once again, the very opposite is true. The famous Protestant statement of faith begins with those words, what is the primary purpose of being human? What is the chief end of humanity? It is to worship God and enjoy him forever we are made for joy people that's why we should have been dancing some of you were but not many you were allowed to dance you're going to be dancing in heaven so why not get used to it do you know the word hedonism it refers to the pursuit of pleasure hedonists are not normally regarded as very nice people focused on themselves, getting the most pleasure out of life. Nobody wants to be in a relationship with a hedonist. you say hedonist or hedonist? I don't know, I say hedonist. No one's wants to be in a, in a relationship with a hedonist, certainly not a sexual relationship. But here is a very wonderful thing. God calls us and creates us to be real hedonists because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The greatest joy and possible pleasure for a human is what? It's to be lost in wonder, love and praise. That is our calling. We get a foretaste of it sometimes on earth, but that's our calling, to be lost in wonder, love and praise. The best and supreme source of human satisfaction is one and the same with what brings God glory. God made us for pleasure, and that's what brings him pleasure. Isn't that good news? Our highest aim is to pursue joy, not for our own sake, but for God's sake. And when we do that, we find God, and therefore we find joy. We find that we are most fulfilled as humans. C.S. Lewis, you know I like C.S. Lewis, this is some here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, "We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seaside. We are far too easily pleased." We're too easily satisfied with trivial joys when ultimate joy is on offer. We're made for joy. But of course, we need to know where to find it. And it's only to be found when we orientate our lives to God. My, parent, my grandparents' tombstone have the words from Psalm 16 verse 11 on, In your presence is fullness of joy. Where do we find complete joy? In the presence of God. We experience a foretaste of that on earth by God's Spirit. One day we will see Him face to face. Well, there's a beautiful, the beautiful words in Psalm 37, verse 4 Um, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your heart. When we delight, when we choose, when we decide to delight ourselves in God, we will find he has delighted us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Anne. She doesn't just dance. She also encourages. Do you believe that? Thank you. God does not have a problem with pleasure. Quite the opposite. What God does have a problem with is us looking for pleasure in places where he knows that there is no joy to be found. The Hebrew word for glory, the word in the Old Testament primarily used to describe God, kabod. It means at its core something weighty, something substantial, something ever able to carry the load that's placed upon it. God is kabod. God is weighty and strong and firm and able to bear the weight we place upon him. And what God calls idolatry is our tendency to worship things which cannot carry that weight, which cannot carry the weight of worship. Investing things with a weight which they cannot bear, which will collapse under it, leaving us disappointed, frustrated and hurt. We worship God because He's glorious and He's worthy of our worship. And when we worship Him, we are lost in wonder, love, and praise. When we worship other stuff, we end up getting disappointed and frustrated and hurt. And I, having an idol means taking something good and misusing it by worshiping the thing itself rather than God who created. And when we do that, we place too much weight on that thing. And it collapses under it. It lets us down. Let me give you some examples. God created sex. And the Bible celebrates the pleasure of sex. But when we turn sex into a God, it can't take that weight. And we find ourselves enslaved. God created us for relationships. But when we turn them into gods, they can't take that weight And people are destroyed by the expectations placed upon them. It might be a parent-child relationship. It might be a husband and wife relationship. If we turn that relationship into a God, rather than looking to God and finding our fulfillment in Him, it won't take the weight. God gives us freedom, but when we turn freedom into a god, we forget that freedom doesn't mean our self-indulging ourselves. It means freedom to say no to self-absorption, and yes to God. Freedom to say no to this, for what distracts us from our heaven-focused pilgrimage, and yes to what brings us closer to God. Freedom from addiction to money, sex, and power. Freedom from shame, guilt, and fear. For some people, that means freedom to be celibate in a world which scorns celibacy. For some people, freedom is is to carry on caring for a spouse or other family member in a world which scorns self-sacrifice. For all of us, freedom is freedom to serve and not to be served. Freedom to experience God and his glory. So I've highlighted two areas this morning where I think the, pos- the popular conception of the God we worship is way off beam. God delights in our bodies and he's preparing even more glorious bodies for us one day. Our bodies are of huge significance to God. Jesus Became flesh and dwelt among us in order to redeem our bodies. And secondly, God made us for pleasure. You just need to work out the right place to find that pleasure because most things cannot bear the weight of worship. Only God can. So two two areas where our culture can take us badly wrong, where Western society has misunderstood and misrepresented God and his perfect will for us. But I also want to say, um, thirdly, that there are some things to be celebrated in our society. Not everything is bad. Of course not. Everything in our world is marred and spoiled and to some extent um, infected by sin. But not everything is bad. Let me give you two examples. Not so long ago, the police used to refuse to investigate domestic violence on the basis that it was a private matter. Some people, mainly not exclusively women, as well as their children, were trapped in homes and marriages which were abusive and miserable. And we have to acknowledge that churches sometimes facilitated this oppression through simplistic use of Bible verses and even turning a blind eye to the abuses carried out by religious leaders. So to live in a society that stands against such injustice, even if there is still more to do, that is something to celebrate. It is a sign of God's grace. Secondly, not so long ago, homosexuals in Germany were sent to death camps and those in Britain were given dangerous drugs to sterilise them. So when now a professional footballer feels able to be open about their sexual orientation rather than living a double life, I believe there is something there to celebrate. I believe that it can be evidence of God's grace. Don't mishear me. There is more to be said about same-sex relationships, especially for those who are disciples of Jesus, and I'm going to be saying more in a few weeks' time. But as Christians, we do not stand with those who fear or hate gay people, but are to be the first to welcome them and eat with them and love them and to affirm and celebrate the goodness in others who also do that whether or not they share our faith. Friends, all that God has made is good. Good, yet marred by sin, awaiting redemption. Don't despise your body, but don't make your body into a God. Don't despise pleasure, but don't make pleasure into a God. Don't despise the world we live in, but don't make our society's worldviews into a God. Such gods will let you down. Perhaps some of you are here today because you have tried such gods and they have let you down. If so, you're in a good place because there is cleansing and healing and joy on offer here. If you are sick of drinking from waters which just make you more thirsty, come to the water of life and find a drink which will satisfy you permanently. Come and get to know the one who will never let you down. Come to Jesus today. But perhaps, perhaps some of you are here and you are not sure about this God of whom we speak. Perhaps you have read online or in the press that he is a harsh God who does not want us to experience joy or freedom. But friends, the God who reveals himself in the Bible is a God who is good and in whom there is no badness whatsoever, who loves you and invites you to trust him, who is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. Will you turn to Jesus today? Perhaps some of you are here and your feet are in two different camps. You want to worship God, but you also want to worship some other stuff. You want the pleasure of church on Sunday, but you want the pleasure of doing things your own way through the weeks. Friends, we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. We never can prove the Delights of his love. You will not find joy if your feet are in two camps. That cannot be worship. We never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. Solid joys and lasting pleasure. None but Zion's children know. Solid joy and lasting treasure. None but the children of God know. Leave those mud pies behind in the slum and fix your eyes on Jesus today. Friends, will you build your life on God with gratitude, celebrating who he is and his purpose for you? Will you orientate your life on him, find your joy and hope in him? Will you respond to the good news he has for you, that he wants to save you and adopt you and prepare you to live with him forever. Let's be quiet for a moment before I pray. Thank you, Lord, for all that we have to celebrate. Thank you for what you celebrate in us. We thank you for the bodies you have given us. And though at times we groan with frustration, we thank you that we look forward to the redemption of our bodies. Help us to have a healthy attitude to our bodies and how we use them. Free us from the unhealthy attitudes which we hear all around about us that tell us in one way or another that our bodies are not that significant. We thank you, God, that you made us for the fullness of joy. You made us for ultimate pleasure. Forgive us for seeking pleasure in the wrong places, for worshipping things that were flimsy and weak and could not stand the weight help us to fix our eyes on you and to experience the joy and the ultimate pleasure that are to be found when we turn to you in worship help us as we live in a society that is both good and bad in so many ways help us to celebrate what's good help us to affirm what is kind and generous but help us to stand firm what you have taught us. Help us to worship you. And for those of us who come this morning with a sense of our own need, a sense of the times when we've failed, when we've worshipped the wrong stuff, when we've gone the wrong way, when we've messed around with our bodies in ways we regret, Lord we thank you that with you there is always grace There is always redemption. There is always a second start. There is always an opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me. And that you come running to meet us with arms wide open. You throw a banquet for us. You invite us to enter into the joy of your presence. Help us, Lord, to say yes to you. To say yes to you and no to the stuff that holds us back. For we ask all these things in our Saviour's name. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing our, our last song in a moment. Uh, can I also remind you that uh, we do encourage you, if, you're, um, if you've heard something today which... You feel, I need to I need to talk to God about that, or I need to talk to somebody about that, or you're troubled by it. Um, talk to somebody here. Talk to somebody you know and trust. The people with red lanyards, the people hastily getting them out of their pockets, um, are the ones who are, who would also, they, they you'd really make their day if you said, John, will you pray for me, or, or somebody else. But there are others, you're not restricted to them. But uh, take action this morning. Don't just go, go out from here with issues unresolved. But we're going to,